0: You grow through hardships. An easy day at the gym isn't a good day at the gym. So why are we looking at easy days in life being good days in life? And oftentimes we wait for hardships to find us before we start to unlock a better, more evolved version of ourselves or grow from it.
1: Humble, it's good to have you here. How are you doing, man? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Of course, I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I've, As I mentioned, and I think you recall, I, mentioned, I met you year, uh, years ago and been following you ever since. And just as I mentioned pre-recording, I just thought you'd be someone interesting to talk to on this topic. For anyone that hasn't seen or followed Humble, he offers just so much tremendous advice on life in general and so many different aspects. He's a multiple-time author and his most recent book, How to Be Loved, I thought was an interesting take on his book wasn't the take on this, but my interpretation of how his book could maybe relate to this conversation. I mean, it's love in general, right? So that, yeah. I feel like it doesn't fall too far from the tree. Yeah. And um, I just thought, I thought maybe to start, and obviously we we're going to kind of go in many different directions, how I guess maybe some of your writings in the book and the focus around love can relate to someone maybe going through grief. Because my interpretation, as I mentioned, was I think when you lose a loved one, I think it's important to love yourself in many ways on getting over the grief process as well as showing love to the person you lost. So I don't know if that makes sense to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, completely. I think, you know, th- there's a universal element to this. You know, we're just talking about relationships and it's like, if a friend of mine lost somebody important to them who I didn't have a relationship with, I'll feel for my friend and I want to be there and I'll probably show them a lot of grace. I'll probably offer to be there for them. I'll probably do a lot. And I think oftentimes we have to extend that to ourselves. We have to extend that grace we have to um, go easy on ourselves. And I think very often our own personal relationships um, with ourselves is so full of these expectations of who we should be, what we should do, um, and sticking to some sort of script or template. And that applies to the lives we live, but it also applies to how we deal with challenges, including you know the loss of a loved one and grief and um, giving yourself time. You know, as much time as you need, versus as much time as your job may give you, or as much time as your friends may give you, or as much time as anybody else. Because you, you are the deepest connection you have with yourself. You know, there's nobody else that's going to know what's happening on the inside. So, I think that's really important in establishing that relationship with yourself. Is so, it's it's the most essential thing you can do. Because if you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself. It's impossible to have a healthy relationship with anybody else.
1: Right. I mean, how much of that comes, turns into projection, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially when you're going through shit. And another aspect of this conversation, you know, off your book again about how to be loved, I, th- as we mentioned prior to putting the mic on, you know, it's, I got some slack when I kind of mentioned in passing how, you know, losing someone in a relationship. Can have similar effects as grief of losing someone to death. And once again, I'm not saying they're the same thing if whoever said that is listening, but it, you know, they're like through my own process, it feels like a, it feels like loss. You know what I mean? I'm, I can't, I'm not saying again, it's the same thing as losing my dad, but it's almost more frustrating because that person is still alive and you know you can't access them or the fact that they are accessible, I can't access them. So it's almost like a frustrating sense of grief. And I mean, is that a big inspiration behind your book in regards to? Yeah. I mean, my book came from, you know, the irony is my book is
0: inspired by a breakup um, who, you know, with somebody who ironically put this interview together, you know, so it's, you know, we're on, we're on healthy terms, clearly if I'm doing this interview, but you know, what you learn is the heart doesn't break the same way twice. So it's almost, you know, when I was younger, I used to tell myself, Oh, if I went to something really big, like you get shot, you can handle a punch in the face. But it's like, Losing a parent, for example, doesn't necessarily equip you to lose a loved one um, through a breakup, or deal with rejection, or um, you know, lose a job or a life circumstances. You know, your life was headed in one direction, you had clarity in what you thought it was being, and then all of a sudden, that's gone. And that in itself is a death. It's a death of a reality. It's a life of. A, it's a death of a plan. Um, it's a death of a dream. Uh, it's a death of a goal. You know, and these themselves. Uh, It's a death of understanding somebody and also your identity. You know, I have a big chapter in here called uh, What's in Your Wallet? And it was realizing how much value I placed in other people and how they saw me. And in the moment I lost them, not only did I lose the person, I lost the identity that I had. Whether it was the praise I thought I got, whether it was the status I thought I achieved, and all of that went out the window. So the question of what's in your wallet had me redefine what I held of value to me. And I started creating things based off what people couldn't take away from me. You know, nobody could take away my ability to tell the truth. Nobody could take away my ability to have love. Nobody could take away, you know, my ability to chase my fun. You know, so when I started making these kind of the bedrock of my value and my identity, you know, I had a a deeper and stronger sense of myself. And so often, and, you know, the the goal of this book is to understand how many things we think are love and are, are not, you know, and... That becomes a situation where, you know, sometimes we exist in the shadow of somebody else and all of a sudden they're no longer there and we we can't handle the light or vice versa. We only had our value because a certain person propped us up and the moment they disappeared is a moment that we no longer feel like we matter. That value was never really there to begin with. And so I think it's really important from that concept. And as I said, like the subtitle in this book says, going easy on yourself it's, it's challenging when you when you exist in a public space because when you say something, everybody can only meet you where they're at. So, you know, if somebody else is, is, is grieving the death of somebody in this present moment, they don't want to hear about you having a bad day and getting stuck in traffic. They don't want to hear about some of the other things that we consider. And yeah, I think there's a good argument for some people that we are turning our dilemmas into problems. But at the end of the day, somebody's worst day is their worst day and somebody's most painful loss is their painful loss. You know, Um losing a parent at a younger age versus being an adult and losing a relationship in a world of coulda, woulda, shoulda. Maybe if I did this, maybe I did that. Your brain is replaying all these conversations of what you couldn't or couldn't have done, which again is natural, but that in itself is going to start to feel way heavier than knowing that you lost somebody in a circumstance that was completely out of your control. And I think All of that should be honored. All of that should be understood because for you to try to minimize that, for you to try to minimize that pain isn't going to help you integrate it and heal from it.
1: That's so true. And even, I mean, blended with the two things that you said in regards to being easy on yourself and understanding the difference of what you have in your control, I think that does relate to any kind of grief, regardless of where it comes from. You know, I think think being easy on yourself is such a simple lesson, but it's so applicable to... It doesn't have to be death or a relationship, anything. I think, I think I personally tend to be, I think I'm my own worst critic and I definitely get my, I think that's my biggest obstacle is my own, is myself. I think that applies to a lot of people, but I know that, I know that for me. And sometimes, sometimes you gotta be easy on yourself and and on the blend of understanding what you can and cannot control. And the only thing you can control is what, like you said, like something about is internal and what's inside your head. And I think that is a really good lesson for someone that is grieving or going through this or that to kind of just be easy on yourself and let yourself feel what you feel, right?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, um, and, and I'm exploring the world of mental health a lot because probably the next book I write is going to be around anxiety. And you start to realize that the anxiety, the pain, the stress, these aren't the enemy. Uh, the challenges come and the pain comes, or it gets worse when we try to suppress that. When we try to suppress the pain, uh, when we try to suppress the anxiety, when we try to like kind of bury these down so we don't feel them. And as you said, going easy on yourself could also just be giving yourself space to feel it. For example, I pitched myself uh, for a certain project uh, today. I've been pitching for the last couple of months. And then today I got a very kind rejection notice saying, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, And they didn't even say we're going with someone else. They said, we're not doing this anymore. So we're not, the thing that you wanted to be a part of, we're not doing it. For me, it still feels like a rejection because I really wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like I lost to somebody else, but it's not happening. And I had been daydreaming this, about this for, for weeks. I sat down, gave myself time to just feel it. Have my inner child be a, a complete brat and kick and scream internally or do whatever I needed to do. Hug my puppy extra, extra tight. Do all of that and be like, okay, cool. You have had your time. Do you need more time? If you need more time tomorrow, you can have more time. Now, what are we going to do next? What, What clarity does this bring you? Because this would have messed up or impacted your schedule so much for the next couple of months. Now it's not happening. Now we have this time to focus on other things. And now my logical side can kind of take over. But I couldn't do that if I tried to suppress myself and be like, nope, not going to deal with that. Let me just jump into another project and distract myself or medicate myself or pretend it's not a big deal or or start giving myself a bunch of, you know, cliche lines like God doesn't close the door without opening a window. It's like, no. No. I wanted something. I didn't get it. It sucks. I feel bad. Let me feel bad. And I can feel bad. Maybe I can journal about it because if if I leave it in my head, it'll feel a lot heavier. Express it, scream it, punch a pillow, do whatever you got to do for yourself. And then I can move on. And if it starts bothering me again, I'll revisit it. And I think that's the important part with dealing with any pain. I think suppressing the pain isn't, isn't a thing. And I have you know, I have people near and dear to me in my life who at young ages also lost family members and they weren't in a position to process it. And they were also not in an environment, where there were environments where people were like, oh, well, leave them alone. They just went through some shit. But it's like, they still required structure. They still required discipline. And they made a bunch of decisions at that, at that young age that have impacted them now in adulthood, you know, and it's impacted their ability to get, you know, employment, their health, all of that, because they just kind of wild the fuck out. And at this point, you know, it's something that we have to kind of understand, which is like, you know, being your own nurturing parent, being your own best friend, you know, it is giving you, you know, the hug and and the space, but it's also giving you the kick in the butt. If that's what you need as well. And it's really understanding what you need at that time. And, um, I think that's really important for all of us to establish that relationship with ourselves.
1: What did you mean by they're not in a- position? Did you mean just mentally or externally or both? Um, I think one dropped out of school, you know, turned to a lot of substances, you
0: know um, and nobody wanted to say anything to them because they had lost they had lost a parent. but at the end of the day, like now you know, they're, they're an adult and they don't have a lot of options when it comes to to employment because their education isn't really, really high. They don't have a lot of job experience, work ethic or anything. And then also, you know, they've become addicted to certain substances because they started really young. And, um, as I said, like nobody
1: wanted to say anything to them then. Do you think that is based on not knowing what to say? Or obviously I'm sure there's many variables, but I feel like, in relation to what someone says or doesn't say, I, I still feel like, and I may be wrong here, I'm curious what you think, if, if I'm the one going through it, I feel like sometimes we expect other people to know what to say or know what you want. And I think everyone handles situations, whether it's grief, this or that, differently. So I think it's up to us to let people know what you need, because some people need space, some people don't, but maybe they don't want to be a burden of someone else. So I, I don't know what the right situation is on both sides, because even though I'm the one going through it, it affects the people around me. And those people get convoluted. on, do I say something? Do I give them space? And then sometimes there's animosity between those two parties, which is why I think some families kind of get intertwined because everyone handles it so differently. And um, I forget what what book it was. I'm sure it's in a bunch of, popular books, but everyone receives information differently and mm-hmm. gives information differently. Mm. And I think it's so much like sometimes you do have to, you can't expect someone to say something to you the way you want to handle it. It's like the love languages and and vice versa. So I think there's like, what is the balancing act of that dynamic between those two parties?
0: Yeah, I think honestly and and again, like, you know, everyone comes from different contexts and different economic backgrounds and and they know what they know and they don't know what they don't know. If you want to talk best practices, I think if anybody has lost anybody or if anybody's going through intense grieving of any capacity, I think definitely professional help is always probably the best option. You know, you can be my homie 20 years, but if your car breaks down, you don't call me because I don't know what to do. You get someone who knows what they're doing, how to fix a car. Mm-hmm. And there are mental health professionals who are not only better equipped, um, but they have the bandwidth, and they have the tools, and they have the understanding, and they can focus on you with a level of emotional detachment that's probably necessary. Versus your friends and your family can love you to death. That doesn't mean they know what to do or they mm-hmm. know what to say. They could be making things worse for all we know. And I think this understanding of look, when when there are problems, let's find the people who are best suited to help us address that. So I think you know if there was a young person who had experienced intense loss, I think some level of, you know, therapy would would be much better versus like, oh, leave them alone. Let them figure this out. While also, you know, they're in the formidable years of their life and some of the decisions they make is going to set the trajectory for the rest of their existence.
1: Yeah. Especially at a young age, is this the whole nature versus nurture thing and nurture is fucking powerful. And uh, and I feel like like when you besides professional help and them knowing what to you know more equipped and experienced in and sh- shitty situations perhaps I sometimes kind of getting insight or perspective from someone un- like as unbiased as outside the circle you know what I mean it kind mm-hmm. of gets a fresh pair of eyes because I when I think when you're going through stuff and you get advice from certain people they're looking at it from a different lens and sometimes when you're vulnerable in a shitty situation you can t- take their words in a misconstrued way. Just like when you say something in a book or online and someone completely takes it a different way, I think it's really like, it's very fragile. And I don't even know what the hell you do about it. You don't do anything. People are going to meet you where they're at. Yeah, you ever see uh, you ever see Pinocchio, the original Pinocchio? Yeah. Well, there's a scene. sorry if I've said this on the podcast, but Jiminy the cricket is on top of like this little cupboard and he's laughing at something, hysterically laughing, and he like turns and sees a statue with like an angry face, and he goes, and he gets shocked, and he looks at the camera and he says, Well, you can't please everybody. And I've always that's been like a corny ass motto of my life. <laughs> I've realized that I can say certain things, especially as this podcast grows, you know, it's reaching more people. And the more people it reaches tends to be a little like all these like little rats show up and they start saying some shit. And I realize I, I'm, as long as you do things with the best intention sometimes and, you know, do it in a real authentic way, you're not going to please everybody in any aspect of your life. And I think that's that comes to a level of acceptance.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's like a Steve Jobs quote, which is like, if you want to make everybody happy,
1: give up on your dreams and sell ice cream. <laughs> so that sounds way more reputable than me quoting Jiminy the Cricket. So thank you for that. No, <laughs>
0: actually, no, you know, the irony of it when you brought up Pinocchio, I, I watched Pinocchio just over um, – I just watched Pinocchio over the pandemic really? um, after listening to a really long lecture about the movie from a clinical psychologist breaking down it as an, a, a form of advanced storytelling. What Jiminy Cricket represents is your gut, your huh. gut, your conscience. And Jiminy Cricket was a good example of that because Jiminy Cricket had Pinocchio's interest in my, best interest in mind always, but Jiminy Cricket wasn't perfect. Mm. So it was almost the idea of you can trust your gut, your gut has your back, but your gut is not perfect. So Jiminy Cricket <laughs> represented that, and also JC for Jesus Christ. So it's, it's a it's a much deeper film
1: than it lets off. Wow, I don't know if you just validated my my what I've been thinking, but that I need to watch or listen or yeah. read, whatever how you just do it. That's crazy. I've yeah. said this so I've said that pretty often, not even like on the mic to like people when it comes up and it's in context. No one's ever answered like you just did.
0: Yeah, That's well, crazy. humans have been passing down has been passing down important wisdom through stories forever. Like right. at the end of the day, irrespective of your even irrespective of your religious beliefs, at the end, nobody will argue that the Bible is one of the largest, most collaborated, most successful pieces of literature ever. You know, so it's like a lot of human beings put a lot of work into putting that together and a lot of human beings have read it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's a successful for a reason. Because it, it does represent a lot of our, our storytelling elements and our, our universal wisdom. And so often, we can present our wisdom without even knowing its wisdom collectively. And um, through our storytelling, it's the same thing. And a lot of the early Disney storytelling really had that. Even the new stuff has that. I just yeah. I, 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 Again, I just read. I didn't read. I listened to an entire podcast, Breaking Down, Finding Nemo. Which again, super, super, you know, the whole premise of that is if you love something, let it go. Oh, shit. You know, if you love something, let it go. And they, they give you a character who's the father. And what do they do? They kill off his entire family. They kill off his wife. They kill off all his kids. They leave him with one egg. So now he has plenty of reason not to let go of the one thing he has. Then what do they do? When they hatch the egg, it's a little fish with a small fin even more reason not to let this little thing go. So, and it's just showing you, so what, you know, in the art of storytelling is, you know, this is how we learn these lessons. And at the very end, he has to set his his son off to go save Dory. You know, that it, it's not that he just lets go. He has, to, he has to actually say, okay, you go back into the danger to save our friend. And the whole journey is him going through a tug of war of that simple idea. If you love something, let it go let go, let go. And it's, it's, it's and it's so beautiful how we can do that through stories. It's something that I've been studying a lot because I want to start writing stories um, outside of nonfiction and because that's the most effective way we've been telling these. And again, we'll reference Pinocchio, you know, Finding Nemo or what have you is because this is how, we, they were, we we're drawing on caves, <laughs> stories, right? <laughs> but, the, you know,
1: those are us. That's yeah. how we learn. We're storytelling creatures.
0: Yeah, and they weren't doing it for clout back then. They weren't <laughs> counting likes. They were just doing it. There's a beauty to that,
1: yeah, no, yeah. it's for real. Yeah, I mean, the stories are—it sticks with you, and it's relatable, and it's just so much easier to tell. Which is, I mean, the fucking this podcast I'm doing is essentially sharing people's stories in many ways, and and, I, and we learn our stories through hearing other people's stories. Yes, and you lessons know. and wisdom, and yeah. you can learn through other people's mistakes. And that's a, that's another that's another thing that I'm just thought of now. It's cliche as well, but I think there is there's so much value in experience. Obviously, I think that's the best teacher, getting thrown into the fire, but part of this conversation is by listening to someone like you and other guests that I've had is to learn from those people and what they've gone through. But then, you know, sometimes it's, I don't know what it takes to register and have these people, have us feel equipped without experiencing it. Sometimes it's hard just to get the words and stories engraved without writing a Finding Nemo.
0: Yeah, but sometimes it's also about just having that that kind of, that lesson dormant, mm. you know, until it matters. You yeah, know? Yeah. Somebody can, you know, somebody could give you I remember getting girl advice when girls still had cooties, you know, back during that pandemic. They don't have them anymore? Uh, I mean, not for (laughs) me, you know, you you would hear certain things as as a super young person and it wasn't relevant to you then mm. and then you experience it yeah whatever whatever the advice may be and then you're like oh that was that was always sitting in my backpack yeah I just, it just didn't make any <laughs> sense right and you also start to understand why cliches are cliches like yeah, re- I always say that. there's always a, re-
1: there's a reason why it's a cliche
0: yeah there's a reason the, you know like the beaten path is beaten for a reason too and it's like you know all this universal wisdom doesn't have to get repackaged and said anew it's just we have to go back and see the relevance of it and every day you know somebody new is born and they have to have that to learn all these lessons, so I think there's a there's a beauty in that in us. Me personally, I believe everybody, everybody should see it as essential to share their story. I think very often right now the way we kind of set it up with, you know, creativity and, and and celebrity culture is that it's some sort of privilege to share your story, to share your creativity, because what you're doing cre- creativity, is just sharing your story in a different medium. Some people are dancing their stories, some people are drawing their stories. Some people are wrapping it, some people are sculpting it, some people are painting it, some people are coding it. Mm. It's their story, you know, And and, and I personally believe, you know, humanity benefits when every potential storyteller shares their story. The more people that tell their story, the better, and education is the way to provide people an opportunity to figure out how to tell their story. Because some people don't think, the, you know, many people don't think the same way as other people. And I think that's what the beauty is. Like we, you know, I drove my car here. Somebody gave a shit about cars to make that happen and innovate that. I don't think about cars. You know, I don't think about bridges. I don't think about the ocean. These are certain things that I don't think about. I serve my purpose in doing the thing that I do. And I'm part of this greater system you know, and I think all of us being a part of this greater system and contributing to it in whatever way we can, I think is important. And that starts with our
1: own personal story. I love that. Yeah. And I think, uh, what I've learned from this, these conversations that people have reached out to me, people, people want to share their story, even if they don't have a quote unquote following or they're not doing this or that there. I don't know. I don't know what that is about people that want to share their story. that don't have an outlet to do it. I don't know if it's Is it a release for them? Is it a feeling of being understood, of importance? Like, what do you think is the drive for people that want to share their story? And some people don't. I think the weight of our stories, I think the
0: weight of our thoughts in general are way heavier in our head, and they're much more fragmented in our heads. So when we get them out into the light, the light serves as a kind of a disinfectant, uh, whether you tell your story, whether you write your story down. That's why journaling is so important. You know, it's if you feel overwhelmed, journal, write. Um, you know, if you feel underwhelmed, read, you know, just, just read, write relationship. And I think also we have so many primitive survival mechanisms that have been in our, you know, our, our, our software for tens of thousands of years that served really important purposes that have next to no purpose in this modern world. I remember, you know, listening to a podcast about a woman who kind of dragged her husband out of bed to go on a ski trip. They lived in a ski neighborhood. She said she really wanted to go, dragged them out of bed. They went. He got caught in an avalanche and passed away. And the um, the story was about the haunting of the regret that she continually had replaying the story over and over. And they attribute that the replaying of the story is not regret and haunting. It's It's an old biological function that we have to replay the story long enough until we learn from it so we can evolve past it. You know, that's a situation where, you know, obviously you can't evolve past it because it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda situation. She didn't know dragging him out of bed to go on this ski trip was going to lead to that. But there's other situations where touching a hot stove, you know, burns your hand. You have to replay that until you integrate the learnings, you know. But again, none of these are perfect systems. That's why we're, you know, all of your regrets deal with your past. All of your anxieties deal with your future. You know, so this this past regret concept is us replaying it, and it's and it's just simply just being aware that it's a piece of software that's not serving us will let us know that look, there's nothing wrong with me. This this is what humans, the vast majority of of, of known emotions that humans feel, the vast majority, like eighty percent, are negative. And the reason they're negative is because negative keeps you alive.
1: All right, survival,
0: you know, survival. The world that we live in right now where our physical safety is not a it's not a daily thought anymore, that's like 200 years old. But, you know, we're dealing with software and DNA from 40, 50,000 years ago. And, and the analogy I like to use is like, you know, you buy your cell phone. It already comes with apps pre-built in and you can't delete them. Right? That's what the, the paranoia, the regret, the anxiety, all of these things are, you know, they're, they're software that's already built in us has very little use anymore, but we can't undelete it. But th- at the very least, let's not look at that as some sort of failing on our part. Interesting. There's nothing wrong with us for replaying the same stories over and over and over again. And if you go through therapy, therapy will encourage you to do it even more and even more intentionally, where you take the most traumatic moments of your life and you sit down and you write it out. And then you wait a couple of days and you do it again and you keep doing it. Even during breakups, one good piece of advice I learned recently was keep talking about the breakup until you're sick of hearing about it. I heard that. <laughs> yeah. and it, But again, it's, it's it's getting it out. Because if it sits in your head, it's going to feel a lot heavier and it's going to feel like a lot more.
1: That's what I meant to ask you. Um, you kind of remind me of a question that uh, you mentioned earlier about kind of sitting in it and not distracting yourself with substances or just constantly staying busy and not pushing it away. Is it, I think you just answered it, but I always thought, is it, um, when you, cause I'm, I'm very individualistic in a sense of not who I am, but like literally being alone, I'm comfortable being alone, which leads me to really sit in my shit and I'm starting certain things I've started to feel better about. And I just wonder, I can't tell if it's my perspective shifting based on contemplating it so much or literally just letting the feelings do its job. And eventually it just simmers. Like I, I maybe it's both. Yeah, but I, I don't know. it's what I'm saying. When you're saying constantly writing it out, writing it out, I don't. Is that like desensitizing you? Is that just literally letting the energy out, or is it a blend of that and like shifting your perspective based on looking at it from all angles? I, I think what it is is a. I think sometimes the weight
0: of it is not as intense as it actually should be. It's because it, it's a new and it's foreign to us. Anybody listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm assuming, has been alive for at least 15 years. Yeah, except that one dude. Except for that, yeah. that one eight year old <laughs> listening right now. If you've been alive for at least fifteen years, you still believe whatever emotion you're feeling is permanent in the moment. Yeah, you like you know we we even though we we have a flawless history of everything we've ever felt has has gone away. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, nothing is permanent. You know, so the happy feelings don't last. The, the unhappy feelings don't last. But when we're in them, we think these storms are going to be here forever. And we create more problems by avoiding the storm. When the best way to reduce a storm's impact is to walk into it. Because if you walk away from it, it's just going to follow you. If you walk into it, now you go through it. And again, there's nothing wrong with us for believing that we shouldn't be unhappy. Again, it's all you see on television. Happily ever after, eternal bliss. Religion sells us all this shit. Like it's all these ideas that are are sold to us all the time. You can always be happy, and it's like that doesn't even make sense when you take some time to critically look at it. You've no one's ever learned anything from their happiness. That's why the majority of our, our, our emotions are negative. You learn through negative emotions. You survive through negative emotions. You grow through hardships. An easy day at the gym. Isn't a good day at the gym. So, why are we looking at easy days in life being good days in life? And oftentimes we wait for hardships to find us before we start to unlock a better, more evolved version of ourselves or grow from it. And what needs to happen is when things are good, you know, that's when we need to practice and voluntarily put ourselves in tyranny. And again, the Stoics, you know, for example, I think, you know, so one practice they have is like, leaving your family two days a month, sleeping on the floor, cold showers, like literally voluntarily depriving yourself of all the things that matter to you in your life. You do that two days a month, you're going to dramatically appreciate that stuff way more for the other 28, 29 days. I just recently, and again, this is just an example. This is an artist. I recently came across an artist who was in a, she was in a relationship with a dude that, who hadn't fully realized that he was homosexual. So she was in a non-physically intimate relationship. And I was like, why are you sticking it? She goes, I'm exploring the torment of it. Oh, geez. Interesting. Yeah. That's like, one way to do it. That's one way to do it. But I guess the beauty in it is volunteer on her part. She's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm voluntarily putting myself through torment because I'm going to create art about this.
1: Yeah, and you're, you're building stress receptors. I mean, I've I, I've, I've seen what you posted on some time ago. You put yourself in. Um, I think you did with with Hoff and the Wim, Hof, the, Wim, Hof, Wim yeah. yeah, that shit is crazy. I've done cold, I've done cold plunges, but I, what you're doing is that what you did doing it's like a totally different level. Yeah. but it's the idea. that idea of putting yourself in discomfort, I think, is is important on a daily basis, even if it's like a little tiny thing. Yeah.
0: Cold showers,
1: cold yeah. showers. I mean, that for some reason that actually felt harder for me than like uh, than the cold plunge. I don't know if it's because it was like just dripping on me and it was little by little, but. The idea of putting yourself through those situations better prepares you for when it when it does happen. And it's like you said with the stories, you kind of keep it in your backpack, and when shit happens, you're like oh, I can apply that. But in relationship, in relation to what you just said about once again relating it back to someone that's grieving or has lost or just open to the conversation, in the moment it feels like it's never going to end. And I think I love the idea of going. You can like I said it before. You can't go up, down, around it. You just got you got to go through it. Mm. But it, it's just you know it's always easier said than done because I feel like when I'm when I get in certain places I feel like I I do go through it and then when I'm in when I'm on the open sea and there's a storm surrounding me I don't see you don't see the end sometimes you just got to trust that you know that, that it's going to part
0: yeah and I think it's also I mean everything is easier
1: said than done of course yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, can you think of one thing that's literally easier said than done I mean that's vice versa that's easier done what are we saying easier said now it's easier done than said. What is easier? I don't think there's anything. I want to think about that one. I'm not, cause it might take a while, but I'll yeah, come I back mean, to that.
0: Like, any any verb is easier. It's easier to say the verb, you know, walking, talking, yeah. you know, sleeping. It's easier to say sleeping than it is to actually go to sleep. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Everything is easier said than done, you know. And I think I think what it often is, is is us making the differentiation between simple and easy, you know. I you know, I used to be an elementary school teacher, so I I I, I try to frame these things as simply as possible. That doesn't make it. Easy, right? You know, if, if you say you want to lose weight, it's simple: consume less calories than you burn. Yeah, you want to do a push up?
1: Just it's just yeah, that. It's,
0: it's simple. It's not easy, you know. And that's everything. So it's it's even when we have these conversations, and and the thing too is, especially when it comes to our resilience, it's not supposed to be easy. There's no value in it becoming easy. And again, we we live in an Uber Eats culture. We live in a culture where everything is becoming more and more convenient. And not recognizing how much that is hurting our resilience. Because when hard times find us, which they do, which everybody has experienced, you know, even with the pandemic, you know, some people were more prepared than others in different capacities. Because some for some people, that was the first time their resilience was tested. That was the first time, you know, people losing their shit over
1: not being able to get a haircut. Like, it's, it was the first time they were inconvenienced. Yeah. Like you and, said, what you said, uh, the worst thing that ever happened to you is the worst thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. And so in those moments, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to And that's to what,
0: them. I, you know, versus it, had they voluntarily put themselves in certain situations, and be more difficult. And I'm not trying to minimize, you know, the challenges of the pandemic for different people for different reasons, but you start to realize that. And I think, you know, even for me realizing, you know, having a I used having the day job as a teacher versus leaving that and becoming a full-time artist and entrepreneur, it's leaving the zoo, the comforts of the zoo for the jungle. You know, in the comforts of the zoo, when you're in the zoo, you feel like you're trapped, but then you also forget that you're safe. Mm. And the food comes, somebody brings you your food, and those cages keep you in, but it keeps everybody else out. And then one day you're in the jungle, and now you're free, but you're also prey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you got to find your food, and you got to figure it all out. But you do that long enough, you build the resilience. You know, and I think... You know that's how I kind of feel with me in in my journey. Was like at some point I was thrown to the wolves, and it sucked, and it took a long time to to adjust, adapt, and evolve. You know, but once I did, I built a new level of resiliency. That doesn't mean hard days aren't. You know, I'm hoping my best days are ahead of me. I'm hoping my worst days are ahead of me.
1: Mm.
0: You know, because that that's the experience of of this you know temporary thing we have called life. And you're going to learn from the the bad days. You don't don't learn too much from the good days. And I think for me, it's it's really important that we kind of look at it from that perspective because so often we view suffering, unpleasantness, discomfort, unfamiliar. We view these as the enemy for some reason. And it's like, listen, every single human being on earth is spending most of their energy just trying to be okay because life is being consumed by the world around us by the, by the thoughts we have and by the emotions we have. And none of these can be completely trusted, but all of these things are impacting us all the time. And, and, and the most work we can do is realize that we are separate from all three of these things. We are the observer of these things. You know, we are observing something that happened and our world is way bigger than we can consume. Our brains are definitely ignoring machines. You ignore certain smells, sounds. You are trained. Your brain is trained to ignore things that are in place to focus on things that are out of place for survival. Negative. That are negative. Yeah. But then also that means everything in your life could be going well and you're hyper focused on the one thing that's not. Because that goes back to what our brains have been designed for. You know, we can't trust everything we think. Because half our thoughts in our head are from other people that they they've been slowly planted in there, you know, and then we can't definitely trust everything we feel, because very often the things that we feel are impacted by so many other factors, you know. And and I've been I've been really trying to pay attention to that lately, in terms of like, am I I'm having a bad day? Oh, somebody says something to me; it's really bothering me. But I was like, oh, but also, am I hungover? Am I hungry? You know. Did I just go through social media for an hour and get triggered by seeing some things and really just trying to be aware of that? And our only salvation is going to be that awareness and watching ourselves go through these experiences. And you know, the the time spent with with Wim Hof and going in ice, you're literally volunteering to put yourself in ice water and the feeling of being in ice water, the beauty of it is A, it never gets easier, ever. And B, it's going to make you feel like you're going to die. Like you feel like I am going to die. And if you don't do anything and you just stay in there by whatever miracle, it gets easier, right? You're not supposed to spend more than two minutes in there. So just just do it for two minutes. But then once you know you're not going to die and you, and you keep going in there, the feelings are still there. Now the question is how quickly can you change that reaction to, to an intentional response? Mm. So, you know, when I first went there, I'm there with a bunch of alpha dudes, and we're trying to go for like I went. We I stayed in for 13 minutes. Damn, that's long. It's long, and yeah. also like I could feel the, I you know this there's, you know the mind over matter pain, but then there's also pain in my toes that feel like oh my toes are gonna fall off. I really should get out. Yeah, the extremities take it the worst. Right? Yeah, and and it's and and you know as I said like this isn't this isn't some sort of like you know voodoo like this is, you can survive a couple of minutes. You don't want to be in for too long. And then, you know, speaking with medical professionals that work with Wim, because Wim himself—he's a nut. He just wants you in the water. Then he's like, "Now let's jump into the sauna." (laughs) And then, but he has an entire academy of medical professionals, and they're like, "Listen, idiots, don't go in for more than two minutes. The goal here isn't how long you can stay in. The goal is how quickly you can come to peace in there. And you you do that through your breath, because one of the biggest challenges we have in life is that we breathe too shallow. So going in the ice." Everyone does that. You're taking a cold shower. Instantly, you're breathing deeper. Your body already knows what to do. And that's what Wim kept saying to so us. We kept asking him questions. Like, what if my fingers fall off? What if I, I get hypothermia? It's like, your body will know what to do. And he's right. We breathe deeper. But now if I go in knowing to breathe deep, the first thing I do is I go in and I take super deep breaths. So I got myself to probably... Maybe 45 seconds. So the first 45 seconds, I'm still, my mind's like, get out, get out. Mm You put too much ice in, this is too much. And then within 45 seconds, like, oh, we can do this. And then the next minute and 15 seconds, it's just, I'm good. I'm good. I can pay attention to different parts. I can squeeze my elbows into my ribs and feel a little bit warmer. I can close my hands. I can squeeze my thighs. I can. I can. I, I know what's happening. And then when you get out, that's a whole other journey of how quickly you can bring yourself back because your internals are still warm. Your externals are really cold. They're about to mix. And when the second they mix, your body's going to shake uncontrollably. So it's like, how quickly can you get yourself back to a regulated state? And that comes from doing push-ups, doing squats, doing different things finding the biggest muscles in your body and, and activating them. So it's really about that awareness. So it's the same thing where it's like, it's, there's nothing wrong with us for having emotional reactions. How quickly can we turn that into a an intentional response? Someone cuts you off in traffic and you lose your shit. Is that going to haunt your week, your day, your hour, your minute? How quickly can you bring that back to an intentional response? And that is just, as I said, an intentional breathing being aware, observing yourself, not owning the stuff that's happening, you know? Instead of saying, I am sad, say, I am experiencing sadness, you know? I think I'm a failure. I'm currently having the thought that I'm a failure, you know? Separating yourself from that makes a massive difference. How we speak to ourselves makes a massive difference. And this is why I'm talking about love, because this is your relationship with yourself. This is what you realize when you're in a relationship with somebody else. If you have a kid, you have to be mindful of how you speak to them. Mm, same you, thing. Same thing. And you're willing to do that work because you love them. The love isn't what makes you it work with them. The love is what makes you do the effort and do the work to make that relationship harmonious.
1: Love is the fuel, huh?
0: Love is the fuel, not the glue. Yeah. And it's the same thing with yourself. So it's like, how do I, you know, and we're in situations, you know, you're self-employed, I'm self-employed. We have the best boss and the worst boss we could ever have. <laughs> we have the best employee and the worst employee we could ever have, you know, and we'll say shit to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else that works works for us. We would say shit to, you know, we would say shit to our, you know, we will allow, we allow shit from ourselves that we would never allow anyone else to say to us. And then, And nothing comes from that. That's the thing. At the end of the day, being like, you idiot, you're supposed to get X, Y, Z done today and you didn't. The question is, what good comes from that? Does that make you work more efficiently? Those words you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't It doesn't even lead to anything. Versus being like, hey, man, okay, we we're supposed to do this today. We didn't do it. Got caught playing PlayStation, got caught doing some other stuff, whatever. All right, we got to make up for this. Let's figure something out. Let's come up with a better game plan. All right, tomorrow, we're going to get XYZ done before we even look at our phone. Let's honor this commitment. Let's do this. And we're saying it from a place of love the same way we, we, because we're speaking to our inner child. Our inner child has a steering wheel. You know, the adult version of us is just in the passenger seat. You can't scream and yell at them. They're just going to freak out and we're going to go back into our autopilot. You know, we have to speak with love. And then the more we do that, the more we'll build our self-respect. And the more self-respect we build, the less self-esteem we chase on the outside. Because that self-esteem and chasing the outside validation is where all the trouble is at.
1: Yeah, there was so much gold in there. Oh, I don't even know what I mean, I almost want to just like hit style, like I like said this multiple times. It deserves the mic drop right there. But I think it all ties together. And like I so said, going through trauma and grief, where you said, be easy on yourself and have those conversations. So there's a book called, um, what was it? I think it was Untethered. They kind of had a, a, a similar. The untethered soul. The untethered soul. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And it kind of had a similar analogy, where it's like if your room, if your thoughts and your internal conversation was a roommate. You'd think you'd this guy to this insane asylum. And I think that's a really good perspective of looking at it and realize how you do talk to yourself and kind of, like I said, like you said, be easy on yourself. Mm. And in regards to the ice bath that you're doing, that put me through an entire process of what going through shitty situations or grief or whatever journey you're going through. That was, I feel like it was the exact same process. You go through it, like we've already said, and you allow yourself to feel it. But also, you start kind of closing the deviation between your reaction and your response. And I think that's a sign of healing. Instead of feeling shitty for two weeks, all of a sudden, I feel shitty for one week. or Like you said, 45 seconds. That gets smaller and smaller. Yeah. That is such a beautiful lesson on how we got to handle our shit when we're going through it. And like you said, nothing. Everything's transitory. And, yeah, even and that's the pain how
0: he discovered it. Through his, his what? His wife committed suicide. Oh, no shit. His okay. wife committed suicide, leaving him with four kids. And then... You know, he goes. I was trying to make the pain go away. So then I saw ice water and I sat in it because I figured this would make the pain go away. And then that opened up a whole new journey in the door. And even most recently, he had um, there's a he has a podcast with Frank Ocean because Frank Ocean recently lost his brother in a car accident. And then they're discussing grief. And it's yeah, it, this this whole all the ice, this
1: is all birthed out of grief. Yeah, it makes uh, between Jiminy Cricket and this and this, I don't know, I don't know what's better, but that is that's how I saw it. Yeah, like, I was, l- it was, l- I was yeah. listening to what you were saying, but I saw this movie in my head. I felt literally like just it was like a promo for what he's doing because it was. I felt exactly like the process, like the right process. I'm not saying it's right because I don't know what's right, but it seemed exactly how you get out of grief is going through it and being aware, feeling it. And also kind of having these positive loving conversations with yourself out and being easy on yourself to get through it
0: and it's also uh, and I think it's interesting too because it's like again even our definition of grief still relates back to our context So like you know going into ice what that does is it raises your threshold of stress to a level that you probably most of us didn't realize we had doesn't matter we could have grown up born and raised in California or in the tropical islands doesn't matter go in the ice all of a sudden you're like, oh the primal, animal that I am is way more resilient than I understand. But we also see that, that spectrum of resilience depending on people and where they're at. I recently went out, got invited by some, by some women to go out to a party. And then one of the women there was Ukrainian and explained how many times she told her dad to leave the country. And he kept saying, no, 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 my building's good. I have to help clear out the building. There's too many elderly people there and then he got caught in in a shelling and her speaking of it you know and but her growing up in a reality where that's a lot more common you know her the way she speaks of it the grief or you know my father you know losing siblings early you know young siblings living in the village one drowns in a pond one dies you know at birth you know this stuff is when it's a lot more normalized and it happens a lot more often you know, or in, in a lot, especially in, in densely populated areas or, or areas that are rife with conflict. You know, there's a normalization that comes with that. It's almost they don't have the luxury of the same level of grief that some of us, you know, may experience in, in other parts of the world.
1: Desensitized.
0: Yeah, desensitized. You know, sometimes they're not in a situation to even process it. And they carry that forward. And it's like, as I said, like hearing my father speaking about some of his losses is like, he's he talking about them the same way he's talking about what he did in the day and it's like he's never been exposed to mental health he's never been this concept of ptsd all of these things aren't there but you know it's not like he's not feeling it he's just that's just the reality he had to be and he was in survival mode and his priorities you know impact that but you can start to see the the spectrum of resilience from that capacity whereas some people you know they lose somebody and you know that's it it's a wrap and again, I'm not here to ma- minimize anybody's experiences. Everybody is has different relationships with different people when they lose them at different times. Um, but at the same time, I think being aware of the spectrum of resilience and committing ourselves to increasing our resilience as much as possible. And none of that takes away how much somebody matters to us. I think it just impacts how much we, we are controlled by it. Because at the same time, too, a lot of us have people depending on us. And a lot of us are part of this greater system of humanity.
1: Yeah, I think we need that more than ever, is that idea that we are a part of a a system. You know, like a system of life, not a system of politically or anything like that. I think we forget that we're all kind of part of the same puzzle. And I know we're all on our own journey, but, you know, through words like yours, I think it helps. And through stories, like we said, it helps connect people and make you feel less alone. And we're all kind of part of the same... I think we're all kind of, the human race is, it doesn't seem like it ever and throughout history, especially today. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's just different now. And I think it's even through certain times when it's chaos in your life or externally, it's the best time to come together. And, um, you know, I think everything you've said is just so applicable. Like I started the podcast to so many aspects of life, whether it's love, grief, loss, and job trouble, anything. It just, it comes back down to kind of how we converse to ourselves and love ourselves, right?
0: Yeah, and it's also as I said, like we're all in this together. You, you know, if your priority in life is power, power and profit, then it's, it's in your benefit to keep people at each other's necks and separated. You know, and that's generally the tool. You know, so when everyone picks a team, and I think people got to realize that it doesn't matter what team you're on. If you identify with a team, you're, you're you're contributing to the problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're all we're all on the same side. And if you and you know, and if there really is any teams, it's the haves and the have-nots. And the haves want the have-nots to be fighting amongst each other to keep this controlled. But, you know, we have gotten to this point, especially with consuming the world through a phone. You know, there's a level of detachment that, you know, I have a a friend, Aubrey Marcus, and he started a project called United Polarity. And what he does is, you know, especially during COVID, he would post articles about, you know, mass COVID deaths in, in areas that don't believe in vaccination, Then he'll also next... He'll post a, an article about mass vaccination deaths from side
1: effects. Oh, dope. So I'll play devil's advocate. See both sides. Please see both sides.
0: But then also in the in the captions, he'd be like, "If you felt validated from any of these articles, realize you felt validated learning about people dying." Oof. You know, and he goes, "And that's where we're at with this with the, with this Damn. tribalism. Like, if you felt satisfied with either of these headlines, both these headlines just told you about people who died. That's." That's how much this tribalism has got to us now.
1: Wow, that's, a, that's you know. A... You're,
0: I'm proving my point by saying X, Y, Z, or it's like a, there's a mass shooting happening, and we're we're more concerned with who did it than the fact that a bunch of people just died. You know, to prove our political agenda. You know, and I think not realizing that our political having a political agenda and arguing with somebody else who sees it differently, is, it makes us part of the problem. And I think that's, that's something I think that's really important for us to understand because when we have that with other people, we're going to have that same level of warfare within ourselves.
1: And I think it also, like you, you've said, it's, it all starts with us. I think every, everything starts with us, right? I mean, we got to love ourselves. We got to be aware and have these conversation, positive conversations with ourselves and fix ourselves before we can try to fix anyone else or love anyone else for that matter. You,
0: yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's also like you have no business have, yeah. trying to have any relationship with anybody else if you're not putting For any real. efforts to yours. And I think about the times that, you know, especially when I was in my transition between, um, you know, leaving my job and then not knowing how to do this creative field and being in a, in a really bad place financially, having to move back home, things weren't working out. And then you're still on social media watching other people show their highlight reels. And even though I've never, you know, my, my pain never made it all the way into the comment section. The thoughts were there, you know, I'll still be a hater, but the only reason I'm a hater because it's my story. It's my pain that I'm that if I had put it in the comments. So whenever I see somebody say something unpleasant about me, it's their story, you know? And, and one of the ways that I've, you know, found harmony with that is just realizing hey, anybody who says anything about me, including anybody who listens to this podcast they're in the nosebleed section of my life. They have such a limited view of who I am that I can't give value to their opinions, both negative and positive. You know, if they if they say, oh, this guy sounds like an idiot, that's as valid as someone saying this guy is one of the smartest dudes I've ever heard. They have a limited view of who I actually am. So I can't just accept all the praise. And then like, try to push away the slander or, or dismiss the slander as haters or whatever. It's having going back to the idea of self-respect versus self-esteem. Is my relationship with myself means that how I feel about myself is what matters most? Because I could I could send a bunch of insults your way right now. The only ones that are going to hurt are the ones that you've been saying to yourself. Mm. You know, there's some there's something inside you that's holding hands with my insult. That's the, otherwise I could say a bunch of random things to you. And it's not gonna it's not gonna penetrate because it doesn't matter and that's generally what it is and i've had this i have a lot of friends who are extremely public figures and these conversations happen and you start to realize like there is this morbid it's a morbid abusive relationship with ourselves, with ourselves with the public but it really is a reflection of ourselves because they'll be like you know people don't even understand me and i'm trying to do something good and this xyz and i was like yeah but there's also a button to like literally turn off the comments (laughs) why hasn't that happened Yeah. well I don't want to have to you know and it's like well now this is kind of like a this is like me listening to somebody in a non-again off-again relationship you know it's, it's something else you know and you know it's probably some level you know it's some form of twisted abusive relationship where it's there's unintended rewards and that's what people do it's the same reason people gamble
1: There's always a payoff and everything.
0: There's a payoff, and you you don't know when it's coming, so you'll deal with all the bullshit. You know, same reason we flip, we flip, scroll through our phones. It's just trash, trash, trash. Comparing myself to somebody, trash, 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 bad news, negative news. Oh, shit, cute puppy. It was all worth it. And it's that same, it's that same concept. It was like reading all these negative comments, but then maybe somebody who says something mean about me, somebody else is going to argue with them. But the truth is like, look, man, the social media is about getting attention. And it's an attention economy. So people are doing what's necessary to get attention. Some people show their butts. Some people give controversial opinions. Other people say mean things in the comments. Because if you, you know, let's say you hit a certain milestone and everyone's congratulating you, and then I say, ah, you probably bought the followers. I'll instantly get more attention. Instantly, my comment will bubble up to the top. That's the thing when you want attention. The negativity will always capture more attention than positivity because negativity is quick and it's it's there. Bad news is quick. Good news is never quick.
1: Yeah, fear sells, right?
0: Yeah, and it's just really important. And as I said, like the only goal with with all, all this and me saying it is just build an awareness and just look at it from a perspective. Like, oh, okay, this is how things are. And now I can choose to engage in it or not engage in it, or I can pay attention to how I feel when I look at this stuff. You know, I can look at now, okay, you went through a breakup. Now, if you're flipping through your phone, you know, and then you see a couple at a wedding, it's going to trigger you. But if you're not aware, self-aware, you're not going to know why you were triggered. You just feel the trigger. And then you might be like, oh, no, this just means I'm hungry. Or this just means I need a cigarette or a joint or need to turn on some porn or need to call a booty call or do something. But if you're aware of it, you're like, oh, okay, this was a trigger. Let me be mindful of that, or let me communicate to, to certain people that I won't be attending their weddings because that's just going to be a, a very bad weekend for me, you know. And it's becoming more and building this relationship with yourself because we do it with other people. We start to protect them and learn their triggers and help them and work around their stuff. Yeah, why are we focus
1: on that. Not? Yeah. yeah,
0: and we because we derive value in being useful to them, but we can derive that same value being useful to ourselves.
1: That awareness is a. Uh... Obviously, that's. I mean, that that is what it is. But it's also you have to be honest, It has to be honest awareness, right? Because I feel like it's, it's times where people just literally just BS themselves, and that's like that's catastrophic. Well, I mean, the
0: biggest lies we tell her to ourselves, yeah, you right? know, and the biggest promises we break her to ourselves, and it, and it goes back to that because and there's value in doing all this temporarily and telling ourselves these lies, and and as I said, like the negative emotions, you know, a, a, another wonderful example, and you start to see it on social media now. Um, is those who want our attention will pull on our heartstrings and they use self pity, you know? So now every single community, however they identify themselves, is a victim in some capacity. Everybody is a victim, right? And it's not about it's not about minimizing what people are going through, but everybody has been framed as a victim, depending on what echo chamber you exist in. And but the challenge with that is there's no empowerment when you're the victim. There's no empowerment in that situation. And again, to take empowerment doesn't mean to take blame. It just means to take responsibility. You know, the analogy I use is if you get in a car accident, somebody rear-ends you. Definitely not your fault. Insurance, going to the auto body shop, getting repairs, all of that is your responsibility. Mm. Sitting there feeling sorry for yourself will accomplish none of that. If you want to get back get your life going again, you're going to have to assume all that responsibility. And all that responsibility is where your power is at. Sure, it was somebody else's fault, but this is where you are now. This is what you have to do now. And I think very often we we don't look at that in that in that terms because we can be controlled and manipulated when people constantly remind us how hard our lives are. And I'm not saying your life isn't hard, but where's the power in that? There's none. There's only power in looking at your responsibility in your own life. That's the only place you have control. And focusing on that means not focusing on how hard your life is and focusing on what options you have and also what privileges you have you know do you live in a part of the world where you have to worry about bombs dropping every day do you live in a part of the world where you can't drink the water out of the tap do you live in a part of the world where you know at any moment the government can just take away all your stuff or has taken away all your stuff this is realities
1: for most people around the world that the variables, there's external variables. Yeah, that, that some people start on third base, some people don't. Yeah, and and that's. It. And I'm
0: not even telling people to be grateful. I'm just telling people be empowered
1: with where you're at. Right. But yeah. But I, th- I think it. Like I said, if someone, like I didn't say actually, but if someone you die, someone dies, not you die. Someone dies. It's easy just to play that victim role and and be like, oh, why aren't you working or doing this? Well, so and so died, and I'm I'm feeling so like, okay. And that's where the, that's where you got rear-ended. But the power is in taking the responsibility that comes with that death and and choosing to shift your life. And once again, it's much easier said than done, but anyone that is grieving or is going, has gone through it, it's, it, it is up to you. It's, it's much easier to be much easier to be sad, depressed and feel that, but it's, it takes work to be happy and get out of it. But I truly believe that everyone can get out of it. And I think a lot of the steps you've mentioned are the ways to do it. If you ask me.
0: And, and I also think it's, you know, Maybe not even you know looking at it as I'm in it or I'm out of it, mm. you know. I think, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this with with the various types of griefs that you've you've experienced. Is it comes in waves, you know. I'm and kind of feeling it right
1: now? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I I have a friend who's a who's 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 just survived a physically abusive relationship, and the conversations are like, I'm totally over it. I only needed three days. I'm totally over it. And then the next day, like, why do I feel like? Why do I feel like I should just, it wouldn't get better. Let me just go back to them. And then the next day, I was like, I can't believe I was such an idiot forever. And I was like, or why don't we just start now and own that all these emotions are temporary and the waves will continue crashing. They may Maybe the intensity will fade. Hopefully the intensity will fade over time. But, you know, the waves, you know, are going to continue coming. And instead of being like, I'm over it, that's setting yourself up for the next one right? versus being like, okay, I had a good day today. Another bad day is going to happen. Let me get my journal ready. Let me get my, my tea ready. Let me get my good friends. Let me get my feel good movie. Let me get off social media. Let me do all, let me notice what makes a good day better. Let me notice what makes a bad day worse. And now let me, let me adjust that environment accordingly. Because yeah, I might feel like trash. And the first three times I, I felt like trash, I just, I gave myself grace and had Taco Bell and smoked a bunch of joints, and you know took ten shots of tequila. But now, if I keep doing that, it's gonna it's gonna impact my ability to pay my rent, or it's gonna impact my ability to show up for people who need me for other stuff. Let me go ahead and you know make better decisions, um, and then slowly improve on that. And I think that in itself can be something And again, that goes back to your relationship with yourself, and you know that's a really important thing. And I think the other thing that I've also learned through relationships that I've had both publicly or or not public or even what people have known or people have not known is that, you know, somebody can die or they can, they can amplify, you know, that because very often I think about, you know, like when princess Diana passed away, like they, the amount of money charities raised in her name, the amount of lives that were positively impacted as a result of somebody empowering themselves to use her memory for something good. I think about Nipsey Hussle, The amount of people now aware of who he is because of his passing, you know, that is making a best of a situation that is an ideal. And I think sometimes it's somebody passing away honoring their life by amplifying them, you know, amplifying the sides of them that are worth amplifying. That's something worth committing time and energy to. And I think it also allows people to have some deeper purpose in their life. And so often, you know, a lot of us are struggling in life because we don't have purpose. And then sometimes the loss of somebody, as lost as that, that can make us feel, that can also give us a sense of purpose and direction if we want to honor who they were uh, in their best version.
1: Humble, thank you, man. That was, uh, that was perfectly said. And I want to give you another opportunity before we get out of here to, if you have anything else to say, please, the mic is yours. But uh, if you want to plug what you got going on, which, what's new with you?
0: I mean, yeah, just dropped a book you know how to be loved um as i said more than half this book is is about what is love and how to how to have that love for yourself this isn't a it's not a dating book i'm not teaching you how to i'm not teaching people how to craft text messages i'm not teaching people what to do on a first date i'm helping people understand what love is versus what we've been taught love is like love is not attention it's not validation it's not success it's not power it's not money it's not uh admiration it's not control you know these are things it's not attention so often we think love is attention it's like these are the things that we spend so much time trying to chase and if we realize that these are not love love is something that you build a pathway with somebody and um you know the the I, i really do in in relation to this podcast like the Mitch Album quote, you know, Mitch Album writes some of the most beautiful, saddest things. And he says, uh, life has to end, love does not. And um, that 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 fits very well because you don't look at somebody and say, I love you. You know, it's a Peter Crone idea. You, you look at somebody and say, I love, and you show me where love is. You know, you create a pathway of love between you and someone. Someone is showing you where, where love is. And they don't have to be in existence for that pathway to remain. You know, that, that pathway remains long after they're gone in the physical sense. And that's why I love that Mitch Album quote, that life has to end, but love does not. Because their name exists as long as somebody knows them and says it, you know. And also, you know, straight scientifically, you know, <laughs> sound travels and has a half-life, but, you know, uh, nothing cuts in half and turns in, in, into zero. So every word anyone has ever spoken, still exists that that sound that sound wave is still traveling somewhere so their vibrations will forever exist in this form irrespective of what you believe you know happens to somebody after they pass away every word the person you care about has ever spoken is still traveling and moving around and it may be getting more faint and faint and faint but it never hits zero and i think that's an important thing to remember to honor their
1: vibrations and honor their energy damn man so yeah anyone going through it whatever that may be like Humble just said, live with love. What else can we do? And uh, if anyone wants to check out his book, How to Be Loved, I'll plug everything in the description. Give it a shot. And uh, Humble, once again, man, I want to thank you for for being a part of this. I appreciate it just like I expected. I knew I f- I know everything you were going to say is going to be applicable to what I'm talking about and applicable to everyone's life no matter what you're going through. So I truly appreciate you and thank you for taking the time. Yo, thank you so much for having me, man. Of course, man. All right, guys. Humble the Poet. His information will be plugged in. Check him out. And as, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Dead Talks. Later, guys.